Sociologists have been studying the TV family for decades, uh, not so much for the entertainment value, but for the evolution of values. Uh, watching the families on t TV and how they've evolved over the years is a reflection of the values and the views of a society. If you think about it in television, most of the articles and studies that you look at will, will begin in the 50s and work their way through. And they'll cite shows like uh, Leave it to Beaver in the 1950, late 1950s, uh, The Dick Van Dyke Show in the 60s, and then even Happy Days in, in the 70s as uh, portraying the idyllic family, uh, a family that was made up of a husband and a wife who are uh, father, the children, uh, the children and parents related to one another, some family tensions, but everything resolved with a, an authority and a respectfulness uh, and what we consider to be uh, acceptable traditional values. Uh, and then those who studied uh, those such things started talking about some of the things that slightly changed. Still somewhat the idyllic family in the early 1970s, the Brady Bunch introduced uh, a blended family, but still with the, the same family values. But things also changed about that time as Norman Lear and All in the Family in the early 70s uh, began to present what a dysfunctional family looked like as Archie Bunker was introduced uh, into our culture. And then as uh, different shows had come and gone, uh, by the 1990s, the television show Friends was a reflection of the family having been replaced as the primary basis of one's uh, identity and, and comfort. Uh, the family had been replaced by friends who became the, the new family. And even still up to the past decade, a show like Modern, uh, Modern Family uh, is totally unrecognizable to the family values uh, that were depicted in the earliest days of, of television. And, and through the years, a couple of things have been constant. One is that the minority families have historically and continue to be uh, widely underrepresented. And second is the structure and the accepted definition of the family has been changing. One television executive has said this, we have moved from what is most ideal to what is most entertaining. Well, here at the end of Matthew chapter 12, we get a glimpse into Jesus's nuclear family and the family dynamics of his family of origin. Here in verse 46, we read this as well. Jesus was still speaking to the people. Uh, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. And so they came to the place where Jesus was speaking. Spe Jesus was already speaking to a crowd. People were gathered and seated around him. Somebody came to kind of the door knocked whoever was at the door. They told them they wanted to talk to Jesus. They, they were wanting to take him home. They wanted to take him out of there to stop him from continuing to teach and uh, to um, causing uproar in uh, the community where, he, where he, he was teaching. And we see, even from the earliest description, that seems so simple, the words, uh, we see some of the dynamics are, are not good. Uh, Bible commentators will tell us this is that the, the words that are used here, standing outside, both of those words are, are indications of half-heartedness. Neither of them are, are helpful. They, they both are, uh, remind us of, of, of uh, or illustrate to us part of the problem. There's an indecision. Standing was the, the posture of, of indecision, of, of half-heartedness, because while standing, somebody could walk away. It's also a contrast to the way that those who were following Jesus, those who were um, engaged in what he was teaching, because the disciples were told, at least in, in Mark's account of the same incident, 
they were seated around Jesus, but his mother and his brothers, they were standing, and they were standing outside as contrast coming in, coming inside, being part of the group. They were distancing themselves by staying outside. And the reason we know is because they were embarrassed. Mark's account tells us that having heard of the things that Jesus was teaching and the miracles he was performing and the reaction that people had to Jesus's ministry, it was causing somewhat of an embarrassment. Apparently they were hearing about it. And Mark tells us that his family thought Jesus was crazy. And so that was the reason they went to get him. They thought he was crazy. They were going to take him away and kind of hide him out for a while, hopefully that he would settle down. Uh, they didn't understand. They were not a part. They didn't appreciate. And so we see this family tension that is evident even in this simple introduction. But one of the things that I find interesting is that Jesus, who was zeroed in, he was always in the bullseye of the Father's will, even his sinlessness and his perfection, and he still experienced family drama. Now, that itself might be of comfort to those uh, among us who have come out of families or maybe are in families where things do not match the idyllic early television family values. Families have drama. Not only did Jesus' family have drama, but every family in the Bible is messed up in some way. Every family has problems because families are made up of people and we're all broken in some way. I'm reminded of what Herman Melville said when he, he, he wrote this, heaven have mercy on us all, Presbyterians and pagans alike, for we are all somehow dreadfully cracked about the head and sadly in need of mending. We're all cracked. We're all broken. And when we're put together in a family, sometimes that comes out and there's drama and sometimes there is dysfunction. And Jesus responds to his brothers and his mother coming and in asking for him to, to come to the door. And he asks a question, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And we're told that he stretched his hands out over the disciples and said, these are my brothers and my mother. Now, if that statement, that question, and then the statement that followed um, kind of strikes us as odd with our, our modern sensibilities, you can only imagine what it must have been like for ancient Middle East culture where family is everything. Jesus' family is coming and he says, who is my family? And then he changes his, his, um, his attention from uh, those that he grew up with to those who were seated with him. But Jesus asked an important question. Who is my family? That was the question that he was asking. And even in asking, it's important that we notice this, that never in this interaction does Jesus diminish the importance of the nuclear family. He didn't actually dismiss his family. He used the opportunity uh, of their discomfort and, and maybe some of the drama, their misunderstanding, to turn the attention from the family which he valued to creating an understanding of a bigger picture. Jesus never disvalued his family or the family at all. One, he understood that it, the family is one of three institutions that God has ordained uh, to, to govern and to guide uh, our, our culture. Uh, the family being the most basic unit in many, many families, but, uh, but the family coming together and, and uh, creating and, and cultivating uh, values and, and community within itself. 
the second is church, which is a community of families that are, are coming together. And then the church and the authority and the way that the church is supposed to function uh, governs the spiritual lives of the network of families. And then there's also the civil government that God has appointed uh, that governs all of the interactions of people, believers and unbelievers alike. All of these are God's appointed institutions. And Jesus, understanding that, would never devalue the family, nor does he diminish it here. He has another purpose uh, uh, entirely. And further, besides just that understanding, we, we know throughout all of Scripture that God values families because he relates to families through his promises of covenant. If you go back to Genesis 12, and one of the clearest uh, evidences of God's covenant, when he talks to Abram and he cuts the covenant, he says, this promise is not only to you, but it is to your family, it is to your descendants, even those who are far off. And the covenant included everyone within his household, whether they were biological or whether they were adopted. However, they were part of that household. They were called family, and the promises that were made to one go to others, because God has a great value of family. And so Jesus in no way would diminish that or minimize that. Family is vitally important, which is why no government or anybody else should dare to try to redefine it. Family is God-given and it is God-governed. And so it's not for the place of the state and it's not for a writer for the Atlantic to determine that the family is a mistake. It is God's gift. But even as Jesus is speaking, and without in any way diminishing the importance of the family, Jesus is challenging some preconceptions and some misconceptions that are common regarding the family, and maybe common even among Christian families. Because as important as the nuclear family is, in Jesus' question and in his response, we understand him to say, the family is not all. The family is not all there is. Russell Moore had written this, a Christianity that puts family first will soon find itself uncomfortable with Jesus. Now that might sound a little strange because again, family is very important. But what Moore is saying is if there is a family who thinks that family is all, if family is the priority, family is the ultimate priority, they're going to find themselves uncomfortable with Jesus. And I think that he must have had this verse in mind uh, as well because Jesus here is saying there is something that the family is part of that is bigger. And he has in mind the idolatry that sometimes people have of family. Perhaps best illustrated in my mind, at least what comes to my mind, is part of the movie The Godfather. Michael Corleone talking to his brother, Fredo, and saying, never side with anybody against the family again. It's a mindset that we are family, so therefore right or wrong, we need to be together. Now, there is truth in that. There's, there's grace. There's the way that we relate to one another. But simply because we're family doesn't make wrong right, and it doesn't make right wrong. 
the family is to cultivate uh, one another in truthfulness. But there is at times in the Christian family sometimes that there, this idea, the family is all, and they, they, they hold the family so close together, they withdraw from the community and from the culture, and sometimes even from the church. In church, I pastored had a family that was so committed to only family-centeredness that they would not participate in any activities. Children were not allowed to participate in Sunday school. They were not allowed to participate in vacation Bible school. They didn't even come to fellowship suppers because the family was everything, and nobody was going to teach those children other than the patriarch of the household. Other families that are trying to protect their, uh, their children, they withdraw them from what they fear might be ugly or dangerous in the world. And sometimes there's wisdom, but sometimes it reflects an idolatry that we have with family. And Jesus is challenging that idolatry. And he, he says in his question, who is my family? And then he answers his own question by saying, whoever does my father's will. And what we understand from Jesus' answer to his own question is this, that in Jesus, a new family is created. It is the family of God. Perhaps for the first time in history, a family is defined not by blood, but by grace. Or maybe a better way of putting it is the family is united not by bloodline, but by faith in the blood of Christ, the blood of the Lamb, who was God's gift to us. The blood, faith in the blood for all who believe. And that, Jesus is saying, makes the family. And he's pointing to the people and saying, whoever does my Father's will, whoever is who believes. And Jesus, with this statement, with this definition of family, he is knocking down every wall that divides us and that separates us. And he's redefining every allegiance. We are united by faith in Christ and by our relationship to Him. Through Jesus, God adopts all sorts of people. I heard a story long ago, somebody uh, was saying, had, had used this as an illustration. People, he said, we, we sing the song, I come to the garden alone. But Jesus says to us, well, you may come to the garden alone, but when you get here, you will not be alone because I have lots and lots of people. I have lots and lots of brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers that are all part of this family. And some of Jesus's people are some of the weirdest people you're going to meet. It's, it's us. It is us. We're, we're broken. We are odd-shaped. We are cracked about the head. And yet he brings us all together and knits us together to be a family. Doing the Father's will really consists of, of two things. Uh, Bible commentator Frederick Dale Bruner says that doing the Father's will consists of both faith and praxis or, or, or practice. Uh, the faith is evident by Jesus' reference to the people that were around him. They were doing the Father's will apparently by simply being with him listening to his teaching, being committed to the ministry he was involved in. We see more evidence in Matthew as the, the very next chapter is filled with parables of treasure that are showing 
how important it is that we find Jesus, that we would be with Jesus. And so first and foremost, doing the Father's will is simply accepting, believing, and being with Jesus. And that's vitally important. A writer named Sky Jathani wrote a book called With, and in that book he makes a distinction, and, and, and he says this, is that we have this tendency of trying to do everything for God, but what God wants most of all is for us to be with Him, and He has promised to be with us. But doing God's will to become part of the family is believing, trusting, resting, communion with Christ. But we also need to remember this, is that doing the Father's will also involves action. And in these words, Jesus is inviting us to partner with Him in His great mission to our broken world. That's the purpose of this new family, even as it's the purpose of the covenant family. You think back to the covenant that God made with Abram, and he promised him this, I'm going to bless you, and through, all, through you, all the nations will be blessed. I'm going to bless you in order to be a blessing. Part of being part of the covenant community from the very beginning, and the families that belong to that covenant community, is that we are blessed by God in order that what he blesses us with we would also be a blessing to the nations that are around us. Our God is a missional God, and therefore His family are called to be a missional people. But the idea of family and the blessings that are ours, it is a gift from God, but they are gifts not just to be hoarded, not to be kept. When we are able to gather again, part of the reason that we will gather again is so that we would be inviting to the world and the people that are on the outside who are without hope by knowing us, by seeing us, by being welcomed to being part of us, they too can become part of that family, have purpose, and find wholeness in their lives. Right now, we are a family distributed. And as there are multiple churches, multiple families, they are the covenant that is distributed around the world. But even as individual families, we are able to have impact. And the collectiveness of this is the Great Commission. One illustration that I that comes to mind is uh, uh, a friend of mine had shared about his growing up. His father had one day run across a family that was somewhat transient. Uh, they were moving, supposedly, from one city to another. They ran out of gas in, in, in the, this city. And the father brought them home, not only for dinner, but in order to spend the night. And, and then as they got to know them, they spent the week. And then over six months, the family moved in, and my friend moved from his own bedroom to moving in with his brother. And for six months, he had this family that previously they didn't know. They had moved in with them. And the family continued to minister to their guest family that had become somewhat like a family. Uh, the family before were not believers, but they were the beneficiaries of the gracious hospitality of, uh, of my friend's family. And over the six months of getting to know one another and giving reason for the hope that they had and the reason for why they would open their house. The family that was staying with them not only got back on their feet and was able to sustain themselves, but they also came to faith in Christ. Now, that's not always the wisest thing to do. Sometimes families can be dangerous. We have to use our own discernment. But one of the reasons that families would be inclined not to do that is because of fear. What will that do to our children? Well, in this situation, as the guest family moved in and the family was inconvenienced, 
not only was the guest family ministered to and shaped by the grace of Christ being extended to them, but the children in this family, the children of the host family, were able to see hospitality, graciousness, love, compassion being exercised, and it shaped them as well. My friend grew up and is now a pastor in the Wembley area of London. And the church that he pastors is welcoming people in that had never known community. They are kind of almost all expatriates because everyone in their church and most of the community where they live are either from India and are Hindu or they are from Muslim countries throughout the Middle East. And yet by bringing them in, welcoming them in, sharing their life, becoming part of the family, recognizing that Jesus has knocked down the walls that would separate us in order they would pour out their love. They're engaged in the mission that Jesus is inviting them to. And they're bearing fruit. They're bearing fruit because his parents were bearing fruit by the simple act of hospitality, loving, and letting walls be knocked down. This is what Jesus is inviting his church, the family of God, into. And the church composed of individual covenant families also are called to this great commission in one way or another. But as we look at this passage, we find in short that Jesus is saying to us this, by the simple fact that you take me seriously, by the fact that you are with me, that you are following me, that you are hearing and my teaching and being shaped by them, by the fact that you have joined me in my mission to this world, I want you to know that you're not merely my disciples. You're my family. You have a home with me. You have a home 